Welcome to Imperfect Momming. Our children are constantly looking to us for examples. The term role model doesn't quite cut it here. We are shaping their worldview with every move we make. You see, it's not in the lectures we give or moments where we are actively attempting to teach them. It's in the micro movements we make, the unconscious ways in which we navigate life. We are constantly teaching our children how to show up for themselves, their friends, their future partners, and even their future children. So what can we do to ensure we are raising thoughtful, compassionate, self-aware human beings? We have to become them ourselves. No one is perfect, but we can still all be better, and it starts with self-healing. Let's get to it. Welcome back to Imperfect Momming, and we have a very special guest today, Dr. Sarah Allen. Welcome to Imperfect Momming. Yes, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I'm super excited. We've uh, been connected for probably over a year now, but uh, we haven't had you on the podcast yet. Yeah, I know. We were just talking about that. Just it seems like we we did, but we didn't. So I'm excited to be here. I think I went live in your group, and uh, and then that was it. <laughs> It um, happens when you're trying to do the whole mommy thing. <laughs> exactly. Things fall through the cracks. And I had a totally different system for cataloging and talking to guests. And mm-hmm. so I know we had a pre-conversation, but we never had the actual recorded conversation. And so I was looking through my pre-conversations that never recorded and there was your name. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So I reached out. Ah, it's wonderful. I'm glad we're doing it. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So I'm a pediatric neuropsychologist, uh, which really means that I look at the brain and behavior relationship in kids. So a lot of my work is looking at kids who might be struggling in school for various reasons and trying to find their learning profiles and helping schools figure out how to better program for them. Um, I also do a lot of trainings for staff with uh, a model I call Raising Brains, which is a book. Um, and then I'm also a mom of, I have two kids and I have two bonus kids as well. So we have a blended family and just running around like crazy, trying to figure out how to juggle all of that too. So I'm uh, an entrepreneur and working mom, (laughs) um, for sure. Yeah. And I, I've, I got really excited when I saw your book come out. Um, and you said it's called raising brains. Yep. Mm -hmm. And do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. You know, it actually came from something my mother said to me, which is that people don't think that way about raising kids. She was saying when we, you know, the pandemic hit and a lot of the schoolwork I did shut down. Um, and I was kind of, I'm, I'm a, a thinker. Um, actually, my partner always tells me that I just, uh, that's my hobby is thinking. He's always saying that. So it was really um, kind of came about that way very naturally, just in how I think about raising my kids as raising their brains And, um, that's kind of basically what the book is about is about how to think about what your little brains need to learn, what you can teach your little brains, uh, and how do you actually grow their skills in them instead of just managing behavior, which we often fall back on, especially when we're all running really, really crazy. And when you start to shift that perspective and think about how you can build their skills and how you can raise them, um, raise their brains, then you're really going to have a different kind of approach. And you also will know a little bit more about what to do, which I always think is hard as a mom, you know, we give you a license to drive a car, but they never uh, give you any really um, real big support on parenting itself. We get like peeing and pooping and sleeping and that's about it. If that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was actually just uh, one of my recent podcast episodes that's coming out is um, about, you know, the, the follow-up support for moms is, Mm -hmm a two day check and then a six week check. So we can make sure that it's okay to have sex now. And then you're done. And it's like, well, wait a second. Yeah. (laughs) More than just, you know, I'm like full of hormones right now. Can you help me out with just more than whether or not I'm allowed to uh, consummate my relationship again? (laughs) I know. And I always think the connection with other moms is so big and we don't really talk a lot about that either, but people who've been there before you, Um, And even that's kind of how I learned, you know, my 
Um, my very best friend had a daughter named Hannah. And I, I just, that was my first experience with raising my own kids. You know, I consider her one of mine. And so I learned a lot about how to be a mom and my friend, Amy happens to be a teacher. And so a lot of her approaches are very teacher driven and she recognizes the need to teach skills in kids naturally. And so just kind of combining that background I have in the brain and neuroscience with what she was doing with teaching and the way she was breaking down things for her kids to learn. You don't think of that often when you're parenting that you actually have to teach your kids how to use the phone, how to ask for things, how to be polite, how to be respectful, how to have a friend. You know, those are things we just kind of take for granted sometimes that our kids learn. And over the pandemic, I think we really realized that you know, a lot of the stuff that was happening in schools with teachers helping our kids with these things were left to us because, you know, without other people around and without the ability to go to school, um, we really had to work hard at it. And so this Raising Brains book was really born out of helping parents become a, a bit of a teacher. You are a teacher as a mom and um, really recognizing that and combining that with the neuroscience has been really, really um, effective for people. And I'm super fascinated with neuroscience and, and maybe had I known when I was younger, I might've gone a different path, but because <laughs> it's so like, I could live inside these kinds of books. I call them personal development books, but I'm really excited. I'm really interested in how the brain works and how we learn things and how we, um, how our our limiting beliefs are created and, mm -hmm. and all of that kind of stuff that you don't, nobody talked about this while I was growing up. Like this wasn't right. Nor normal talk. You know, it was one thing that I'm really present with, um, right now is, um, the, this, the concept of, um, don't speak to me that way. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> the parenting that the parenting technique of don't speak to me that way. And, um, this is born from a, a very special weekend that we had, <laughs> um, my, during the pandemic, my son's only socialization as an only child was, uh, the Xbox and being yeah. able to talk to friends wow. on there. Okay. And so I believe that community and friendship and, and socialization is super important, especially with a child on the spectrum. And so I just, I just let him have it. It's mm -hmm. like, go for it as much as you want, you know, and, um, I didn't realize the pandemic would be, you know, two years later, um, <laughs> we're two and a half years in, aren't we now? Um, but, uh, so now it's kind of slowing down, you know, things are going a little bit back to normal. We're allowed to have, you know, friends come over and stuff. So I wanted to start um, limiting the screen time as they say is, is very beneficial to us. Cause you said we have to teach them how to use the phone. I think that most of our kids can teach us how to use our <laughs> smartphones better than yeah, we You'd be surprised. You know, it's so funny. You'd be surprised when you hand a kid a phone to talk on, not to text on, but to talk on. Um, and you know, they don't, you know, if you listen to them, talk to their friends, they're like, Hey, can't. All right. Bye. And you're like, well, did you tell them why you can't? Did you tell them that you're busy? You know, we have a family coming over, but that you'd like to go, but just not today. Uh, no, why? You know, you really have to like tell them what to say. And even with texting, you know, although it's funny because my kids make fun of us for using punctuation in our texts, I guess that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> and so they're always like, I always know it's you, or I always know you're talking to someone because you're, you know, I'll be like, period, you know, as I'm talking to Alexa or, or whoever <laughs> to, um, to fill in the, the text. And they're like, would you stop putting a period? I'm like, you need to, how do people know how to take a breath or that you're done the sentence? If you don't put a period, <laughs> I got so upset with me. I, I've um, seen a meme that's like that, that it's like uh, punctuation is important because the same sentence could be very different depending on where you put the comma. Exactly. And then back to what you were saying about um, Xbox, right? Um, it, it's really interesting. Speaking of teaching kids how to socialize, if you've ever stood next to your child as they're talking to people on the Xbox system, they, I have walked in and I'm like, you wouldn't talk to somebody like that if they were standing in front of you. Why are you screaming at them? Why are you, you know, there's screaming, there's cursing, there's um, often just it, um, uh, talk, you know, telling them what to do directly, not using any social kind of skills. 
Um, and it's pervasive. I've seen this across kids, across clients. Um, and, and it's something we didn't pay attention to, like you said, over the pandemic, we we're kind of just like, just go play with somebody. Um, but now you're, we're listening to it and hearing it it's starting to translate back into schools and, and around with friends is the talk that you were using on the Xbox system is not a talk that you can use when you're standing in front of somebody. Um, so it's just interesting from a social and a brain perspective when you think about those things, but like you said, I'm obsessed with the brain too. You know, I, I think it's, I've always been interested in the translation of it. So not just the neuroscience and the, and the research that I was doing at, at different points, but how do I use that in my everyday life? How does this rat study translate to what could be helpful to my everyday? Or how does this, uh, you know, uh, MRI study translate into something that we can use? Because there's a pro and con to research, you know, pros are, of course, we learn a lot of information, but there's also a lot of variables that are removed when you do studies because you need to have as, as minimal of variables possible, but that doesn't always translate directly to the real world. So trying to figure out how you can use certain pieces of information and incorporate that are always really important too. Absolutely. Yeah. And you did bring up a really good point about, you know, teaching them how to use the phone. And I'm, I'm thinking about my son leaving voice messages yeah. uh, <laughs> or voicemails, especially to his grandparents. He talks to it like they're there listening mm. <laughs> and so you know that like he's having a conversation with the voicemail and it's hysterical to me he's like I don't know what to say or do or whatever on the on the mm -hmm. voicemail and I never thought like to tell him how to do it <laughs> to yeah. like, go for it and you see this like my preteen is starting to babysit and so she has jobs now you know and a lot of times the moms will be on a text chain together or something so the they're, they're talking to her, but able, I'm able to kind of see it. Um, and oftentimes she'll say to me, how do I respond mom? Or she'll say, K and I'm like, you need to, you need, this is a mom. You need to say a few more words than that to her. Or we'll talk about how to respond, you know, and really kind of figuring out how to help her figure out how to, how to respond. And over the course of the last year, she's learned a lot about how to do it to the point where now that she's babysitting, she'll text and say, you know, would you like me to put chicken nuggets in for them? Or are you bringing dinner home? You know, something like that. And she's starting to learn how to communicate back and forth. But again, it's a skill that you learn. It's a job skill she's learning now. So it just always fascinates me. I don't know why it always fascinates me because it's so, it's so prevalent now in my world, especially, but just this idea that we actually have to teach our kids how to do so many of these things that just seem to come naturally for us. If you're not an educator, you know, if you haven't been in that world, it's, um, it's surprising, I think, sometimes to recognize that piece. Yeah, and I'll, I'll circle back to um, the don't talk to me that way mm -hmm. because that happened this weekend. So we've we've enforced some boundaries based on some of mm -hmm. the behaviors that were happening happening um, on Saturday, and um, just a, a, a general. I'm going to call it an attitude because that's how we were, you know, how I grew up being talked to that. If I talked to my parents that way, that was having an attitude, mm -hmm. you know, and um, my boyfriend and I are three months apart. So we had the same <laughs> style mm -hmm. of parenting um, and I don't get as triggered by it as, as he does mm -hmm. um, where I understand that when there's that tone, that there's something beneath the tone. Right. And you know, we were driving in the car and there was a lady in front of us who um, was like, wasn't paying attention to what was happening. I, I couldn't even describe to you what she was trying to do. All <laughs> I know is that we were like trying not to hit her while she uh -huh. was trying to figure out what she was trying to do. And my son said to my boyfriend who was driving, could you at least put on your signal mm -hmm. with, with that, you know, that tone? Mm -hmm. And that was triggering on multiple levels for my boyfriend because nobody likes to be told how to drive, right? Especially by a ten-year-old who doesn't have a driver's license. Um, but also that tone that he was using, and that was very prevalent throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And so, in the moment, I know that I said he's scared. He was scared. Mm -hmm. I I think that I had identified that that was what was happening. I didn't right. go any farther in it, in my thinking process until the next day, he, uh, we were driving again, just he and I, and, um, the, the light turned from yellow to green or from yellow to, to red. Mm -hmm. 
That's mm -hmm. usually the direction it goes in. Um, <laughs> and he braked really hard. And I was very, re I was represented to that same guttural feeling that I felt the day before with the hard braking of trying not to hit this woman. And I said, you know, yesterday when Xander had the attitude and was telling you how to drive, he was trying to communicate that he was scared. Mm -hmm. And what our job is as parents is to turn around and say how you said that is not an appropriate way to speak to an adult. Number one, because we don't like being told how to drive. And number mm -hmm. two, that's just not appropriate way to talk to people. Mm -hmm. um, but number two, give him instructions on how to identify what he was feeling and then express that. Right. And right. Mm -hmm. So I circled back to Xander and I explained it to him that that's what was really happening. And that was what be, was behind. Don't talk to me that way. Well, and there's a complexity to that too, right? Because your boyfriend's driving is also under stress and also probably anxious about or maybe even scared about what was happening in front of him. So he's not going to be able to, you know, I always talk about the relationship between Franny, the frontal lobe of the brain and Amy G, who's your amygdala, your emotion center of your brain. So Franny and Amy G are this pattern that as parents, we definitely have. And so do our kids, right? So in that moment, you got a lot of Amy G happening there without a lot of Franny to be able to regulate or control or help out because Amy G is responsible for the feeling. You know, she's our puffer fish. I, you know, if you, I always say if you have a preteen, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where if you like step wrong, poof, there they go. Um, that's Amy G's job, <laughs> right? Over time, we learn how to use our Franny or the frontal lobe. She's like an octopus, you know, or kind of like the secretary in a school. She's got her hands in everything. She knows everything that's going on. She's regulating all of her thoughts and our behaviors and our emotions. But Amy G's really taxing sometimes. So if Amy G's puffing, first job Franny has is to chill out Amy G. So we got that going on. We can also then be logical and, and thoughtful and all have all of that conversation in the car, maybe at the same time. But when you break down, this is what I mean about the raising brains model, which is exactly kind of what you were talking about doing here, which is starting to figure out what does that little brain need to learn? What can I teach that little brain? So right then that statement is telling you two things. One, you know, if you have a student, if kid with Asperger's, you're definitely talking about the social aspect also, but also the emotional aspect. So listen, if you're, if you're in the car and you're feeling that way and you're scared, you can say, you're, you can talk about being scared. You know, you can decide whether or not you want to say something. You can use different words about saying you're scared. But when you say, you know, can you use your signal at least, this is how another person is, is taking that. They're taking that one as a criticism of their driving. Um, what other situation are they in? They're also anxious. So is it helping? You're, you're bringing up Amy G response instead of bringing down. So if you're scared about what's happening with him, you just added a layer to that. That's making it worse, right? Not better. And you're having all those conversations. And that is a lot easier of a way to start to help about how to shape and change behavior versus just punishing, right? Which you didn't do, but which often people would do, which would be either to snap back um, or to take something away or things like that without then circling back around to talk about it. Because I often think parents think you have to be perfect. Not true. Doesn't happen, right? We know that. You know that. <laughs> right? um, but what, what we can do is use those as teachable moments. And so that's a great description of, listen, his Amy G was going, and this is why he yelled at you. Your Amy G is going. This is why you yelled at him. Let's work on the communication. And I've been really big on relationships uh, and communication building because we're teaching our kids how to have relationships in the future also. So we're not just interested in communication, but we're interested in communication within the dynamic of a relationship. So I have a relationship with my, my son, with my daughter, with my bonus son, with my bonus daughter, with my partner, right? He and I have a relationship with the kids also as, as co-parents with them and then all the different dynamics. So when we're talking about what works for us, it's not just about what works for me and what you need to do as my kid, but it's about what works for you. What can I do to support you? How I can't say how many conversations I've had where it's like, okay, I saw that happen. What could, what could I have done better? And that was it help me. If it doesn't help you, if I talk to you, does it help you? If I don't talk to you, you know, the same conversations you have with your partner, you know, when I, you just hit a major button of mine, you know, I'm going to need a minute to calm down. 
you know what, if you use different phrasing, that would really help because then it wouldn't trigger me so much. So can you try that? And I will try to not be triggered. Right. And we kind of work on that dynamic, but we forget about that with our kids and with our parenting, that there's those relationships and dynamics go both ways. And that if we pay attention to that, we're working in the future. So there to be able to work on the dynamic between your boyfriend and your son to say, okay, here was that dynamic and have them have that conversation too. So they can grow together is important. Also, we sometimes forget that extra little piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, my goal was to have my boyfriend have that conversation and he hadn't yet. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to jump right in. And and (laughs) yes, the title to my book is mindful meddling. Um, because we're going to meddle, right? We're all going to meddle. And you did it in a mindful way. You kind of give a pre-conversation. You know, that's always good. And listen, our lives move so, so quickly. You know, I'm really big on efficiency and effectiveness and practicality. Um, You know, practically, we don't always get those kinds of conversations, but to start to plant them and then start to give them a chance to work on their own relationship too is really important. You know, I think in terms of like a, a parenting tip or the number one tip I could give a parent, it would be, to focus on independence and not dependence Mm. um, because we often do that. So if you were to have that conversation and your boyfriend never had it with your son, then you're really promoting dependence on you in that relationship to, to be in the middle of that. Um, But if you're prepping your boyfriend, prepping your son, and then encouraging that, and again, not making it, but encouraging it and stepping back over time, they'll pick up on that. And then they're creating an independence in that relationship. Um, and same thing with your son, you know, you're telling him how to change that dynamic so that he can eventually do it on his own. Not so, you know, you, you didn't just say, don't say that you can't, you can't talk to me like that. You told him what and why and how, so that he could really build up that skill. Um, and it, it comes down to everything. You know, we were just talking, uh, about dropping kids off at school and how some of the parents it's pouring rain here today. So how some of the parents are getting out of the car and like helping to get all the stuff and getting things in and dropping things off. And it just never occurs to us because our kids are fairly independent and being able to get their stuff and grab it and go, you know, that is the, the dependence to a T, you know, being able to, to, they can't even get out of the car on their own. They can't even, you know, do these things. We're really interested in, yes, we want our kids to talk to us. Yes. We want to be a confident and a, and a friend at times to them. Uh, we want them to lean on us, but we want them to be able to, to be independent and grow themselves, not so dependent on us that they can't do things on their own because then we're not doing our jobs as parents to raise these independent brains. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I noticed that there's certain areas where my son is very codependent with me, but when I'm not around or he knows that I'm unable to, he does it all by himself. And I'm like, what happened? Mm-hmm. What is happening? How come you're not doing it on your own? If you talk about, like I was just talking about my daughter working, you know, I'm not saying don't help your kids, right? Like I'm helping her figure out how to have those conversations. But when she says, can you just text mom? I say, no, you can text it here. Let's talk about what the text will look like. I might even help her draft the text in the beginning, you know, Um, but she's going to send it ordering at a restaurant. We were just talking about this with her the other day. And she's like, I can't believe people, parents are still ordering for their kids and she can go, she can get hop on her bike, run downtown and order her own stuff. She's ordering her own clothes, those kinds of things, because, you know, we, that is a value of mine is that independence building. So again, it didn't, doesn't happen overnight. It's not like, no, you do that. We're not helping at all. Um, we, we still were there for emotional support. We're there to build those skills, but we're also there to say, okay, so, how, why did you have that, that fight with your friends and how could you, you know, handle that? What do you think they were thinking? You know, how could, how do you think they felt about what you said? You know, that that's not dependence. That's independence building, even though I'm there to support and to help them figure it out. I'm helping them figure it out instead of saying, don't speak to them. Don't ever talk to them again. They're clearly a bad friend. Or if you don't get along, don't go over, you know, that's a, that's not helping at all. Or even going over and fixing it myself, calling the mom and, saying, you know, they got in fight. Well, we'll just tell them these things. Okay, good. They can go play again. You know, that's dependence building too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. My, my son loves his teacher, absolutely adores her Uh and he's scared to ask her things. And (laughs) he was gone last week and, uh, cause he was sick for, uh, three out of three of the five days. And when he came back yesterday, all of the kids had blankets at school. 
Mm. And he made the assumption that they were given blankets either by the school or by the teacher. And he wanted to know where his was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he said, and I said, well, you, why don't you just ask her? And he goes, well, mom, can you just text her please? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that that's something that I'm mindful of um, that he's asking and depending on me for that communication between him and the teacher. Um, And so I'll, I'll start working on, on at least, well, what should, what would you say if you were me? you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Or let's draft an email together. You know, you typically the kids have access to their teachers in different ways these days. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm not saying again, mindfully meddling, right. Is our key here. So, you know, I might send a message to the teacher say, Hey, you know, he's going to ask you about this blanket thing. Just wanted to give you a heads up. You know, that's, that's still, that's very, you know, we're, we're in the basics first steps, you know, that's very clearly, um, we're still building independence, but we're helping it along a little bit. So she might say to him, Hey, did you have a question for me or something like that? You know, to kind of help smooth that over. Those are okay. But if the mind is always on, how do I build this skill up in him? Like you said, he needs to start to advocate for himself. Then you're doing the right thing. You know, when you start to just message because it's faster and you want to hear them stop talking, which we all do sometimes don't get me wrong. Um, but if that's the majority of your interactions, then you're not building their brains. And what's going to happen is that short, it's a short-term gain, right? We want a long-term gain. So over time with helping little, little extra work up front, and they can do a lot of this on their own, that actually frees up your time in the long run. So you want to find the right places to put the right amount of time in so that uh, it will lighten the load eventually too. Yeah, that's, it's so important. I, you know, the, I'm a really big advocate of allowing your children to ask questions. And Mm -hmm. as, as he's hit this age now, I'm really, really glad that, um, that he is asking questions still because of, you know, a lot of the things that I do that are subconscious or unconscious are, um, are things that created limiting beliefs for me because the com I didn't ask the question and the conversation didn't happen and um so he asked me if I would pick him up from school today and we had established a very strict you're taking the bus from home rule Mm -hmm. because I kept showing up and he kept taking the bus and I'm like (laughs) and it happened three it happened three maybe four times (laughs) and it's it's more irritating right. than anything. It's just, it's like, it's and just I of your time, right? You ask them again, yeah. what does that brain need to learn? Something you've asked somebody to do something and then you make a different choice. Then these people aren't going to want to support you anymore. It's a, it's a good lesson. Yeah, exactly. So when he asked me today, I checked my calendar and I said, no, I, I have the time to pick you up. Um, but I, you don't take the bus. Like I just, mm-hmm. I got very, uh, serious. And, and he said, mom, why did you get so serious? Uh (laughs) And I said, well, because you have, I, we've had scheduled days to, to pick you up from school and you take the bus. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, didn't it only happen twice? And I said, "Mm, at least three times, but maybe more. Um, but thank you for asking that question because I didn't even notice that I got super serious. Right. Well, and um, questions are really important in general, you know, a reflective questioning style when you're parenting is, is awesome, you know, so the other way that that conversation could have gone or could go in the future is, you know, why are you interested in me picking you up, mm-hmm. you know, and how do you think it would, you know, so la- so a couple times I've, I've tried this and you've gone on the bus, how do you think that that would make me feel? You know, why do you think, why do you think that I would be getting frustrated right now? You know, and those questions really force kids' brains and their pathways to connect a little bit more and for them to start to uh, learn those things and recognize them things. They even uh, evoke our Amy G, our emotional response a little bit sometimes, which is how we learn. Anything that's emotional for us is what we remember. We don't remember everything. We don't learn everything, but things that have a little bit of an emotional salience to them um, are what we do remember. So by asking questions, we're kind of starting to get their brains processing and working. And we typically can grab some emotion along that way too, because now they're starting to consider, well, wait, how did that feel to you? And what does that feel? Uh, What does that feeling feel like? Have you ever felt that way? Has that ever happened to you where you've 
you know, we're, you at, we said you were going to do something and then we didn't let you, how did that feel to you? How do you think it feels to me when that happens, you know, and that's a whole other lesson that you can gain from that one little teachable moment. Um, so I, 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 I love asking questions and you find out some interesting things, you know, sometimes kids will say something to you and you'll ask them why, and you'll realize, oh, you know, okay, that, that makes a, like, um, you know, can I have a sleepover? Not today, you know, and, and they're like, but I really want to sleep over. Why do you really want to sleep over? Well, this is a friend who's uh, leaving the school and they're not going to be here for a long time. Oh, okay. Well, that's a totally different, you know, we can really talk about that versus if we, we aren't open to that. And that's a big example, but even tiny examples sometimes of, you know, asking to something you initially have a gut no to, to say like, why are you asking that? Or what are you thinking about that? because that helps you talk through those things. So what do you think? Well, here's what I'm thinking is that, you know, if we had a friend over, we have to get up early and these kinds of things. So what do you think about it? And you end up having this conversation that again is building independence, not dependence, because now they're thinking, oh, well, we have to get up early. Well, what if we went to bed early? Or what if we, we hung out for a while, but then they went home, you know, like they're starting to think about the situation themselves and trying to balance things in their own life too, um, which is an important uh, skill. Yeah, I, I love the connecting of the emotion. Um, I, I don't do that often, but I did do that with uh, the, the kitty litter. <laughs> I'm not allowed right now because I'm carrying babies. Aww. And my boyfriend had a strict, I'm not doing the cat poop because he didn't want a cat. Um, and so the only person left was Xander, who was, Xander. That was always supposed to be his job anyway. Uh-huh. Um, and... Uh, so he was not happy about needing to do it. It stinks. It's, you know, oh, yeah. it's not enjoyable for anybody. Um, and I said, but you know, how would you feel if you were a cat and nobody cleaned up after your poo mm-hmm. and you can't do it cause you're a cat mm-hmm. and now you just have to poo on top of your poo and pee on top of it and everything. And how would that make you feel? And he goes, I don't think I'd like that very much. And I said, well, baby kitty and and Skittle don't like that very much either. So you gotta clean up after them. Yeah. Aww. That's funny. That's so cute. Mm-hmm. So um can you give like a two-minute rundown of your puffer fish and because <laughs> we went I know what you were talking about because I've you know I've a little bit studied the brain and I watched a live that you did explaining uh-huh. it. Um, but we went through it kind of fast and I just want people to like really understand the, cause I call it the lizard brain. Is that one of the brains that you were talking about? Is the- yeah. One of the, the more primitive parts of our brain. I'm happy to too. And then, like you said, I, I do have a lot, I have some lives and I also have some great little reels about parts of the brain on my Instagram. So you can always go to at, uh, Dr. Dr. Dot Sarah, S A R A H L. Allen, A-L-L-E-N too. And you can find a lot of this on there too. So if you want to know little clips of this, um, you're welcome to do that. And to show the kids too, you know, we actually have some images um, of the parts of the brain you can take a look at too. So, um, you know, I often, there's a, there's a couple parts of the brain that I think are the most important. As I mentioned to Amy G, um, she's the amygdala of our brain. She's the emotion center of our brain. So she's tucked deep inside the brain because we keep the things that um, really protected that are really important to us and uh, important to our survival in particular. So all animals have a version of an Amy G because this emotion is what drives us towards things or away from things. Um, so our fear response is gonna drive us away from things, right? We feel really good about something, we're gonna be driven towards things. And that's all based on chemicals. Uh, our brain talks based on chemical and electrical impulses anyway. So we're either going to be given a lot of dopamine, which is a, a chemical and neurotransmitter um, towards the front of our brain, uh, which is our frani, the frani is the frontal lobe, and that's going to make us continually want to do something. Um, or again, we're going to have a fear response and be driven away from it. Um, so the, the Amy G goal is to help us figure out a directionality in life. Emotions are good. We want emotions. We can't survive without emotions. A flat affect um, doesn't give you any movement at all, right? You're not going to go towards away from things. You're just kind of going to be there. Um, so we often have this misnomer, I think, when raising kids and even ourselves to think that we should have less emotion, we shouldn't feel. 
that is, should not be the goal. Feelings are good. We want feelings. As a matter of fact, I'm sure as a mom, many people can relate to the idea of kind of losing yourself and losing what's important to you. Um, and the best thing to do with that is to start to find yourself, find what makes you emotional. We forget the things that uh, make us happy or things that make us sad. We kind of lose that sometimes when we're just constantly worrying about other people's needs, right? Yeah. So Amy G is good. We want to go back to feel, you want to be in touch with how you're feeling and um, because that's going to help you determine a direction in life. So when it comes to raising our kids, we want their Amy G responses. As a matter of fact, kids who have, have kind of this overabundance where they're um, having outward behaviors, that's not a bad thing. You know, it doesn't feel good to us all the time, but that's almost easier because the emotions are coming out already and we can help them figure out how to kind of regulate them or work with them. Sometimes kids pull inside where they're really um, quiet, where they start to tuck in and you can't, can't get any information. They don't know how they're thinking or feeling. You know, those are our kids that I think we have to worry about even more because if it's not coming out first, we have to figure out how to get it out. Uh, if it's already coming out, I think that that can be a little bit easier. So that's Amy G in a nutshell. Is she's really important for survival. We want to feel emotions. Um, Franny, the frontal lobe of our brain, um, again, I picture her like this octopus because her job is control and regulation of everything that happens. So anything that comes out of the brain comes out through Franny. So it's got to come through her first. So if she's working really well, she might say, oh, nope, you can't say that to that person. That wouldn't be very kind. We're going to keep that part inside. Uh, mm -hmm. If you have ADHD and you don't have a, a real strong Franny, that might come sliding right out of your mouth. <laughs> so that's her job. She's also responsible for pulling information. So you need to get information out on a test, for example, or you're trying to find that word. That's an all, all of a Franny. So Franny and Amy G has this strong relationship. Then you add the uh, learning and memory centers of our brain, which are right next to our emotion centers. That's hip, the hippo, I call him. Picture him like a hippocampus um, or his name is hippocampus, like a hippo. Um, I often say people of our age usually know the elephants can't forget, um, but you'll be surprised if a fun fact, if that makes sense to you, go ask your kids because they have no idea what I'm talking about. When I say elephants never forget and to tie a string around your finger, they've never heard it before. It's so surprising. But in any way, any case, hip to me is the hippocampus with a string around his finger. I know it's elephants can't forget, but for me, it's the hippocampus, the hippos can't forget. Again, it's really fun. Fun fact, go ask your kids. They'll have no idea. Um, but anyway, so hip is the learning and memory center of our, our brain. He's really close to Amy G. They're BFFs. They're connected very much because we learn and remember what's emotional for us. And when it comes to brain organization, the things that are close together are the things that work together. So we always say what's wired together, fires together. Um, so those two things are going to be really important and they have connections back with Franny. So Franny is really regulating Amy G so that Amy G is chilled out enough so that hip can do some learning. Um, and I'm sure you've all had those really taxing Amy G friends, you know, emotions can be very taxing. You've got a friend that's all Amy G it's going to be taxing to you. Well, it's also taxing to hip. So if Amy G gets too out of whack, learning and learning and memory are not uh, possible at that moment. That's why Franny has to work to chill Amy G out before learning can happen. So if you've got a really anxious kid for a test or something like that, uh, Franny has to chill out Amy G before she can use hip to take that test. That's why they, there's a funny dynamic there with test anxiety. And Amy G is the puffer fish, right? Mm -hmm. And so when, she, when Amy G is activated, that's not the time to try to teach your kid something because <laughs> it's not available. You're going to get poked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's going to happen. Someone's going to get hurt. <laughs> You're going to get poked. I love it. And, and that was my first introduction into a lot of this was um, the book that I mentioned on every episode, uh, which is no drama discipline because mm -hmm. it was his model was to connect before you correct. And a lot of that is because I'm going to use your term because the puffer fish is uh -huh. Amy G is activated and we need to calm her down in order to let the information in so yeah. that, hip can retain it. Right. Right. And, you know, yeah. if you translate this up to teens and preteens, you know, uh, especially in my, with my kiddos now, this is a big, um, issue and, um, and with the, my extended family also, 
is that uh, it's there, it's where our jobs individually to get our puffer fishes to come down, right? So what we're trying to teach our kids is again, back to our independence versus dependence conversation. It's not us trying to calm our kids puffer fishes down. It's we need to teach our kids how to do that for themselves. So what you were just talking about, where if you have a puffer fish kid uh, happening, you're right. No, nothing is going to really get to them. The focus needs to be on that calm, calming down. When they get to be of teenage years, there's going to be a point where the dynamic of that conversation is not going to be helpful to either of you, right? It's either, and I hate you, or, you know, there, there's going to be comments that are thrown that get under the belt, that your relationship really gets tarnished when um, a, a teenager or preteen or teenager puffs, when they're puffing, there's hormones involved. Everything's the worst thing in the world. And that's a genuine feeling. Our chemicals of our brain make up the way we perceive the world. So they're hormonally, everything is the end of the world right now. It does feel that way. They are up really high. They can't get down. You are not going to be effective in doing that. So what I always recommend at that point, if you're getting into a lot of these back and forth battles uh, with your, your preteen puffing really quick and you can't get them down and nothing seems logical uh, you know, people will say to me things like they seem like a crazy person. They are psychotic. They need to go to therapy. There's something wrong with them. Most mm -hmm. of the time, they're just teenagers with major puffer fish reactions here that are happening from a biological standpoint. Mm -hmm. So think of them again, more like a toddler in the way that you would respond to them. So you don't want to reinforce that, but you do want to offer them some support on how they calm down. The way you do that is by conversations outside of those times. Hey, listen, I have, you know, this is really impacting our relationships negatively. I'm yelling, you're yelling. That doesn't feel good to either one of us. You know, so during those times, I'm going to separate myself. Either you lock yourself in the pantry. Uh, that's usually my spot. Or, you know, you leave, you walk the dog, you go around the corner, they leave, whatever it is that you, uh, you try, try to separate so that the physiology of the body calms down. Mm -hmm. And then you can have more of a conversation um, but not engaging in uh, what they say to you, you know, everyone else's mom is doing it. You won't let me mm -hmm. well, know that that's not true. Or even it is true. It's irrelevant in this particular conversation. Cause you've said right. no, not going to happen, you know, so I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm going to go take a break. We'll talk about this later. You know, cutting off that, um, that, that back and forth dynamic is going to be your best bet um, because it's almost easier to do as a toddler. They also come at you often, you know, mom, but mom, but mom, I need to talk to you. I have to talk to you now. It must be right now. Mom, you're, why are you ignoring me? You know, and this is big spin and you start to feel guilty about it. Um, but the separation is really going to be very key. And I'm not saying to do that cold turkey. You know, I'm saying have conversations up front about that dynamic and the importance of them being able to regulate EMG when they're calmer so that you can really then work on that. Cause you're right. Once they go puff, that that's it. They don't, they don't tend to be able to logically think you can't from a biological standpoint, Franny is working so hard to chill out Amy G. She can't do anything else. She can't pull any information from hip. It's one part of our brain. That's the regulation. That's why even kids like flail lose their, their body, lose the control over what they're saying. All of that is Franny and Franny is working really hard to, to calm Amy G from puffing. Yeah. And that was part of Saturday. Um, I love that you said that. I love when I get validated for things. that I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we were, you know, kind of doing the, the luxury parent thing. And I was like, you know, this is the luxury parent thing. We need to chill out. Um, what I said, what we need to do now is everybody needs to go to their corner mm -hmm. and everyone needs to calm down. And when you're ready and you feel calm, you come back to us and let us know that you're, you're good. Yeah. It took him an hour to calm down or to come back to us anyway. Um, and that was the hardest hour of my entire life because yeah. I really struggle when anybody else around me is unhappy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's hard to watch your kid be unhappy. It's hard to watch your kids struggle. That's why independence teaching is so difficult because we don't want our kids to not know why the blankets were given out, right? We don't want them to not be able to get their homework in because they didn't ask a question or to feel bad, you know, based on some consequence or, um, or like what was happening, you know, in your household that weekend. But it's really important to, to know that when you have Amy G involved, learning will happen. Conflict often breeds change. So if you don't let your kids sit in the conflict, at all, if you're constantly fixing things and, and saving them from it, 
um, making things better. If you had tried to make things better during that time and just smushed it down, there'd be no learning that would happen for him either. So it's really important. And then I also wanted to circle back to what you said about building relationships too. These strategies only work if you do have a base relationship. And those conversations I told you about having when they're calm, you know, those should be times that you're connecting. You know, um, one of my good friends just went shopping with her daughter for a few hours and that's when they had those kinds of conversations, you know, or making sure you're doing stuff that are going to keep that bond close and together because that's going to help you communicate, help your relationship. Again, we're back to communication and relationship skills and then help them be able to, to learn and shift that dynamic themselves, which is back to independence. And I could just, I could have so many conversations, uh, like we could just talk for hours and hours about mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, the, the cool thing about my son is that he really doesn't let me try to calm him down, like calm him down. Like yeah. he's not distracted by my distraction. <laughs> uh -huh. It used to work, I'm sure, when he was younger, but now I'm sure it's a little bit harder. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, and he even, you know, goes as far as saying, not in these words, but it's like, stop trying to calm me down. Stop trying to make me happy. Like I'm, I, I'm in a bad mood right now. Leave me alone. Well, all right, fine. And I love that he knows <laughs> he's feeling at least, but for other people, distraction is not a bad strategy. I'm not saying don't do that. But what I'm, what I am saying is if you're going to do that, tell your kids what you're doing. You know, I'll give you a good example of this for my daughter. We were coming home from the shore one day. And there was a big accident in front of us. There were helicopters circling. So clearly this was a pretty big accident. She was very anxious and upset and overwhelmed. And, you know, in the past we had, you know, okay, well, when we're overwhelmed, when we're anxious, we can change the channel, you know, just like watching TV, we can pick a new one. And so uh, we had talked about that for a long time. And at some point she said to me, mom, can you help me change my channel? You know, and I got out a phone at that point, we looked at funny videos on YouTube because we were stuck. There's nowhere we could go. I can't, you know, we can't move. And I gave that to her and she used that strategy. But if I hadn't talked to her about, hey, I am using distraction as a strategy to help you calm down. Um, and it works for lots of different things. Like you want to go get a shot? You know, I, I'll set, tell my kids, you know, put, you, you can watch something on your phone while you're getting a shot. If you're so anxious, one of my, my son would have, would jump out of the chair, couldn't get him. He'd have to be held down. It was ridiculous. So to just say, okay, let's use distraction here as a method. Now he will go do that himself. Yeah, mom, let me just get my phone so that I can do that. That's totally fine. I mean, I use my phone as a distraction method all the time when I'm doing things, you know, if I'm somewhere I don't want to be. So, but that's the teaching of the skill, right? That's the building the independence piece too. If we just use distraction without the discussion of what and why we're using it, then they're dependent on us for that strategy. But if we use that and, and intro that as a method that they can use themselves, then they can absorb that. So maybe your son over time will start to say, you know, you can't do that for me. I'm in a bad mood, but I will for myself, you know, when I start to come down a little bit, maybe I'll use that to help me get myself back. Yeah. And, and there have, I can't think of any examples, but there have been things like that, that I've done that he's asked me to do. Yeah. It, that's just really cool. Which is wonderful because then, you know, you're doing it right. Then you're building that independence, you know? So I hope people are hearing it's not, don't help them. That's not, that's not all independence is it's providing that bridge and that skill building in between so that they can become independent. So you can use a strategy at first to really help them and then say to them, Hey, you know what I just did there for you? You know, when I started to talk about something else, you know, that's a distraction method or, you know, let's write this down. Let's write something down about how you're feeling. You know what I just did there? That's journaling. Like you could probably do something like that if you wanted mm -hmm. to too, and start to build the skill up um, and let them take over. Yeah. For time purposes, I think that you gave a piece of advice and multiple pieces of advice. So I want to know if there's a book uh, that has been instrumental in your personal development. So I have a couple, I think as a parent book, uh, one of the things early on for me that was really helpful is a book called One, Two, Three Magic. Um, for kids initially struggling with their behavior, like two to 12, Tom Phelan wrote that book. And I've interviewed him a little bit on my uh, channels and we've worked together in his um couple editions of his book for the brain science. But I remember when I first read it, even um, it's just such a great, it really is like a magic tool when you don't have a huge background in behavior management or in, you know, helping to get things under control. Cause I talk a lot about building skills, not managing behavior, but nobody wants a household where things are out of control. And there's oftentimes, if you don't have a lot of behavior management happening that you need to start somewhere. 
And so I think that that is a great place to start to get things at a level where you can then work on building skills. So from a parenting perspective, I really loved, and there's also, uh, I think there's still a video out. It's probably pretty old right now. He's probably looks pretty young in there. Sorry, Tom, but you probably do uh, on that video. Um, but it's also a great video. You can rent from the library or purchase it, I think, uh, at this point. Um, and that's fun too, for people who aren't really big on the reading of the book to get to know how to do it. He'll show you a lot of how to do it. So I do like that one, but I think personally for my own personal development, um, I really like Matthew McConaughey. I've talked about this a couple of times, but Matthew McConaughey's green light. I know it sounds strange, mm -hmm. but he has uh, such a philosophical way of talking about his life that has, uh, has, made many twists and turns. Um, and I think the way he talks about the relationships with the people in his life um, have really been helpful to think about relationships and communications um, in a very unique way. So I would highly recommend listening to it actually, because he reads it. Um, it's like, I was going to say, I'll get that on audible because yeah, totally get it on audible. It is, I have it. I think it's one of the only books I have both in print and on audible, but um, I would definitely recommend taking a, a look at it because uh, listen to it really, because it, it is like, you'll get, you need some time uh, because it's just this great, it's like watching one of his movies, but at the same time, it really is the strangest self-help book uh, you'll ever read. So I, I like that one a lot. Love it. And where can they, where can our listeners find you? So the best place to look for the most up-to-date information is always my Instagram. As I mentioned it before, it's at dr.sarahlallen. Um, you can also check out my website, which is brainbehaviorbridge.com. And that has the up-to-date information too. We do a lot of uh, teacher programs, a lot of different parent um, support work for raising brains as well. Um, and just some fun uh, different giveaways we have as well. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on our my podcast. Finally, <laughs> thank you so much. Absolutely, and and I enjoy this conversation so much. Like you, you don't even know. Oh, um, <laughs> it's always fun to chat with a fellow mom. So, um, so we'll have another episode of Imperfect Momming for you next week. And until then, keep healing. Bye, guys. Thank you for tuning in to Imperfect Mommying. It's time for us to step up and realize that our power is not in trying to shape our children. Our power lies in shaping ourselves into the people we want our children to model themselves after. Don't just do it for your kids. Do it for yourself. When you become a more self-aware, compassionate, and confident person, you and everyone around you benefit. For more information about me and my work, visit alishalyons.com. That's A-L-Y-S-I-A-L-Y-O-N-S dot com. See you next time.